Welcome to another episode of Rad Talk with Tracy. I'm your host, Tracy Poffenroth Prado. This podcast is all about reactive attachment disorder, or RAD. I'm going to be talking with parents who will be sharing their experiences of what it's like raising a child with RAD. It gets raw and it gets real. I'm also going to be talking with experts from different areas who will be sharing information about RAD, resources, and support. I'm glad you're here. Let's get started. Hi, listeners. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and welcome back to another episode of Rad Talk with Tracy. Today, I am talking with another Rad mom, Crystal Lynn, and she has, well, her and her husband have four adopted children, all with different levels of attachment issues and some severe needs, and also a miracle biological baby. Their 12-year-old son has reactive attachment disorder, and he's currently in a program, and he's been there for about five months. So Crystalline's going to share her story um, and insight with us today. So welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to have you here, and thanks for being willing, like so many others, to share your story. It makes such a difference. Yes, thank you. Um, Well, we started... Um, fostering to adopt in, back in 2013 um, we, because of fertility issues. We actually adopted our daughter who is nine first. And then um, that kind of opened up the door to fostering sibling groups. And shortly after that, we had fostered a couple children in between before we, re- before we got our, um, our two sons who is, um, Scott and Caleb. Now, are they a sibling group? Yes. Okay. So they came, um, at the time our daughter was, uh, we had just adopted our daughter. She was three. And then, and then I kept saying, I really want a baby. Cause we had five, two-year-olds like all back to back fostering. And so I was like, I just want a baby. And we were the zero to three range. And um, my supervisor at the time was like, you should maybe open up to sibling groups because they tend to come with babies. <laughs> so we did. And that's when we got our first call for boys. We, had, we hadn't had any boys. So my husband was excited. Right. And um, it was a seven-year-old and a two-year-old boy at the time. And we were quite nervous because we it, it, our the seven rolls out of range. And we knew in the back of my mind, I knew that after three, there can be more each year adds more trauma. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure I was able to, what that would look like, or, um, if I was able to handle it or, you know, and just, we had just adopted a little girl and I didn't want any, um, you know, I didn't want anything horrible to happen to her. So we actually did a pros and cons chart and it came down to, they had said that they had, we were the only one in our County that had two beds and we were very naive still at this point. Um, and so we ended up taking them in and just from the start, he was, our seven-year-old was, was difficult. I mean, he had everything from, he had those eyes that he would look at you and just wanted to kill you. Um, just, just tried to run away a couple of times. Um, at first, when he came into our home, he, um, 
he actually had more issues outside the home than inside the home. Okay. So, so anything from like, um, he had come in during the summer. So I had just put them in like summer camps and trying to get them, you know, active. And he would just, um, right off from the bat, it was just aggression, um, towards adults or children hitting, punching, kicking. Um, just, it was almost like he was, had been caged up and never knew how humans were supposed to act and come to find out we actually, um, they were living in their van for about a year. Um, and so they had several therapies. I mean, we were in therapies just because they had like muscle atrophy from just sitting all the time. So when they were in the van, they didn't really get out and do stuff. They really kind of were caged in a little bit. I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause when our two-year-old came into our house, he just screamed because he didn't, the light was so bright. He just kept his eyes closed. He was squinting all the time. He would just, he had no words. I literally thought he was mentally challenged. A lot of sensory issues. It sounds like too, with light and sound and mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, it was just. And I, I, my husband and I were still new to everything. I mean, we had just fostered, we had just adopted a girl. Um, you know, we, we were always told that, you know, like we weren't expecting, you know, like really difficult behaviors and just, just weird behaviors too. Yeah. Um, and I mean, from eating from the beginning, we've always had eating issues. What kind of eating issues? Anything from, um, Oh, I love spaghetti. Will you make me spaghetti? And then I make it and won't touch it. Um, and then, but if grandma makes it, he inhales and they'll be like, well, he had five bowls at our house. I don't know what you're talking about. Or it would be, I used to, um, lots, a lot of snack issues. I used to let them pick one snack, uh, at the grocery store for that week. Um, and you know, whether it's, you know, like a certain type of Oreo or, you know, cookie or cracker or whatever. And if, as soon as I bought it, it would sit in the house for a month. Um, wouldn't even touch it. They would do everything in their power to not eat it. And so, or, you know, if they did eat it, they're like, I don't like these, but it, so is anything that I provided for them. And we, we still have these issues with our other, um, two, two older adoptive kids as well. Okay. Um, but so I just, I just learned that food, there's just food issues around is around, you know, um, foster adoptive traumatized yes. kids. Yes. So we've, I've done, I'm a, I'm a former teacher. And so it's like, teachers always come with a lot of hats and I feel like I have tried everything to get them to eat. And it kind of comes down to you just, you just have to like, not care and just, you know, let them make those choices for themselves. Cause it's gotten to the, it's, it's whether it's like, okay, you can have, you know, like two snacks or one snack, or we find food in their backpack. And we're like, well, you, you were like dying to have two snacks, but then it's like, you won't, you didn't even eat them. Right. So, I mean, we don't have too much hoarding or hiding except for like backpacks or in the car. But, um, uh, so anyway, I kind of just come down to, I buy what I want. And if you want it, you can have it. If not, you know, that's fine. Yeah. Good plan. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so we've had, um, and we, and it's, we have 
when I make meals, it's, this is what you're eating. If you don't want it, that's fine. You can have it for breakfast or the next, whatever the next meal is. Yeah. It's, we don't throw it away. We don't, you don't, I don't give them a choice that you can make peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah. Um, just because, I mean, this is a family meal. Mom worked hard. Um, I don't care if you don't appreciate it or not. This is what's going to be for dinner. Right. And eventually, I mean, if they are hungry, they'll eat it. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's food there for them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like the food issues we have. I feel like I have a lot of anxiety around food just because it's like, I deal with it all day long, 24 seven. Yeah. Big trigger, um, big trigger. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And just to go back a minute. So you adopted, yeah. how old was your daughter when you adopted her? Was she three? She was about, yeah, three, okay. three and a half, maybe. Yeah. And then how soon after did you adopt your two boys or foster adopt your two boys? So that was two, they came to us in 2016 and the crazy thing with all of our kids, we never really had a visit. We never had to do visitation except for like one, all the parents that we've, that we ended up all the children, all the children's parents just like dropped off the face of the earth. And so when they came to us in 2016, it was, um, it was the, it was May of 2018 by the time we adopted them is a really weird case where it was just, it was almost like dormant. And then all, all of a sudden, finally, they're like, okay, we're just going to terminate and you guys can adopt them. Okay. So for some reason that took a while, but. And did they have any visitation with their biological parents during mm-hmm. the time? No, they couldn't find them. They were oh. either in jail all the time, told, just MIA. Literally they, the police picked them up and they came directly to us. And that was the last time they ever saw their parents. Interesting. Okay. So there wasn't even an opportunity. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Mm -hmm. So that, that was that case. And then, um, and then that was 2016. And then the spring of 2017, I told my husband, I was like, I know we have three, but I just really, really want a baby. So I put out a fleece and I just put out a fleece and just prayed for two weeks straight and just prayed and said, Lord, just bless us with a baby. And exactly two weeks to the day, I got a phone call to um, pick up our son. He was actually, I wasn't able to pick him up that day, but um, he was still in the hospital and he was actually born premature with lots of drugs in his system. And, um, and that one was the case. His name's Christian. He's four now, very mentally um, uh, delayed we've been on the wait list for like three years for our nine, seven year old, seven year old, four year old for like a whole psych spectrum. Right. An evaluation. Yeah. We did that with Scott when he came into our home at seven, which I'm so glad we did. And so now because of all the issues we've had with him, we're doing it with those three, um, especially with Christian, just because we need to figure out where his IQ is and, um, stuff like that. So but he, his was the only case where he had visitation. And then, um, I pretty much, um, made like a picture album one, um, for Christmas for the mom and dad and just told them that, um, I don't remember what I wrote something along the lines, like we are always here for your son. And I think that kind of really touched the dad's heart. And he, asked us, um, he goes, I can't parent him. Would you guys adopt him? So he relinquished his rights and we were, um, able to adopt him. Oh, wow. So that was pretty, we got him in 2017 and then the end December of 2018, we adopted him 
And then three weeks later, I found out I was pregnant. Oh my gosh. So you yeah. got two babies. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. And do you keep in touch with Christian's parents at all anymore? Or was that kind of a letting so, go? No. So, um, the mom, she, again, she was one that dropped off the face of the earth too. It was kind of when the mom kind of left the dad kept making visitation. And that's when he started talking to us about relinquishing his rights. And then, um, he's like, is there a way that I can stay in touch with you? And that's when my husband and I decided to come up with an email. It's a random email address, like Colorado foster parent at like a Yahoo, you know? Um, and so we said, if we ever have a, have parents that DHS could give them that email address to contact us. Oh, nice. Yeah. So none of the parents have, (laughs) except for two for, except for Christian's dad. Um, and so he will email us, I would say once a month just to get an update and I'll send him pictures and, but it's kind of, it's, it's kind of just left at that, you know, very like service level. How is my Mm -hmm. son? You know, you know, some, some picture and an update kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Which is nice. I mean, he gets information and then it's not overly complicated for you and confusing for Christian and right. Yeah. 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 That sounds like a good situation there. Yeah. 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 And so you've got a lot going on. do. Right. You've got a lot going on. And I know a lot of listeners out there, we all have a lot going on, but so many kids all adopted. Let's talk about it. Your daughter, how is she doing? So the first child you adopted. Um, so she was born with fetal alcohol syndrome, um, very mild. Okay. And a lot of people, I think, assume that if you have fetal alcohol syndrome, you have facial features and you don't necessarily always have the facial features. Right. Um, there's like five distinct features that a fetal alcohol syndrome person can have. And nowadays it's just like autism. It's all across the spectrum. Right. Um, but when we got her, she was medically fragile. We, we had to take her to um, a genetics uh, doctor for a couple of times. And then once she hit three, they're like, she's you know, she's fine. Um, she's actually very high functioning. She's, um, she skipped a grade. However, she's now average with her grade and she, she, for her, she, um, I feel like really struggles with like processing disorder. Well, I would say all of our adoptive kids struggle with the whole, um, like metacognition, um, just because that higher thinking level is not, was never developed. Right. So all of our kids struggle with you know, it's raining outside. So I'm going to wear, um, shorts and not take a jacket. Um, or why are my hands so cold? Well, maybe you should put mittens on when you go outside or just my stomach hurts or my stomach's grumbling. What does that mean? Well, it means that you're hungry. So just basic. And I know we all know this, just the basic concepts that a normal child should be able to think through each throughout their day, these kids can't. And so it's very draining because a lot of times, even though I have five kids, all different ages, most days I joke, my husband, I am raising like quintuplets. Right. Um, it's like, I have five, two-year-olds because all of them lost that ability at, you know, whether it was in utero or the first year of their life of, you know, what's, what 
you know, how to, how to properly put on socks or, you know, right. They miss those stages of development. Yeah. Yeah. Just meeting their basic needs. Um, wow. So she, for the most part, I would say she's our healthiest out of the four. Very sweet, very helpful. Um, her attachment is more, she gets very awkward around hugs. Um, she doesn't really think about hugs. It's more of like, okay, I'm home from school. So I'm going to hug you. I mean, she doesn't say that, but it's, it's kind of like that, but because having our biological daughter has been like a game changer. Really? Um, even for my husband and I, we didn't know what normal was. Like we thought, let me back up. So all of our kids never get out of bed. They just stay in their beds. Like I would have moms and friends say, um, how do you get your kid to stay in bed? Or how do you get your kid to do this? Or how do you ever get anything done all day? I'm like, I don't know. My kids just play. They leave me alone. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) And then when we had our youngest, um, our biological daughter, Caroline, it was, I would never get anything done. It was, I always have to hold her. I always have to, I'm cleaning up her mess. I'm just, Mm. it's mommy, hold me, mommy, hold me, mommy. I want that mommy, you know? And it's just, it, I told my husband, I was like, I think this is normal. Like, I think I understand why my friends are like jealous that I can actually keep my house clean because, um, I, all my other kids just go and play and do their own little thing. And and so having her has, you know, taught us like what a normal child really acts yes. like. Yes. And because of that, our daughter, Olivia is really starting to notice, um, well, why does like, she sits on my lap a lot, especially at dinner time. Okay. Um, I should be like, well, why does she sit on your lap or why does she feed you? Or why do you feed her? And I, you know, I, those are my, I, I try to make them positive opportunities where I can teach not just her, but all the kids, like this is what a healthy attachment is. Right. You know, teachable moments. Yes. You know, she, she, when you're little, little kids like feeding their parents and then they like their parents feeding them or they like eating your food and not their food. And, um, do you think it's helpful? Like are the kids learning from that or just curious? I think it's both. I think part of it is they're curious and it's almost like an aha moment to them. Like, Oh, I didn't know that was normal. Um, I didn't know that's how we're supposed to act or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think, but I also see sometimes maybe jealousy and Mm -hmm. sadness. Um, Mm -hmm. sometimes I wonder if they think that like we love her more or we, because I think they think that we treat her differently. And honestly, we don't, it's, it's just, she's more attached. She always wants to be around us. It's that attachment piece where you're doing all the same things. They're just not attaching, but they're seeing somebody who is. And so, and it's interesting because even though they see it, they're still not really able to change their behaviors and switch into Mm -hmm. that attachment mode. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think they've, they've commented a couple of times, like, you know, because Caroline will eat more or she's a better eater or she eats throughout the day. And I think they'll kind of be like, well, why does they've never actually said it out loud? Well, why does Caroline get that? And I don't. And sometimes I wish they would, because it's like our daughter will come up to us and say, can I grab a snack for today? And I'm like, yes, you can have a snack whenever you want. You always get a choice to have a snack 
you know, bring a snack to school. And it's just like, we're still having these weird questions out of the blue. Like, this is what you do every day. You get up, you get ready for school, you right. grab your snack. And it's like the other day, she's like, well, um, can I have a snack? And I'm like, yes. And so sometimes I wonder if they like look at Caroline, you know, when she's eating like nonstop, <laughs> if they're like, well, mom gives her everything and I don't get anything, but I wish they would just, if I say something, then it will backfire and then they don't want it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I can't get them to say what they want. Um, because it's either it's too scary or they don't want to get it from me. And so it's just, I just ignore it and just hope that they don't, you know, I pray that they can hopefully change their thoughts and, you know, Mm -hmm. heal, but yeah. And things that should just be routine by now it's your house, your family, you know, you get into those routines, you know, you can grab a snack and yeah, just not ever making that connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So, but I'm hoping that as Caroline's only two. So I'm hoping as she gets older that, um, they'll start to see how a, a normal interaction looks like with a kid. Um, especially because their maturity level is, you know, two to three years behind. Yeah. So, right. They can still kind of catch up. I think that is such an interesting position that you're in, you know, right. Cause most people have, most people are opposite of us. Most people have bio kids first and then they have adoptive. Right. And just almost like this is a role model for the rest of your kids or an opportunity. And for you, like Mm -hmm. you say, because I understand that I didn't know what normal was until, because we don't have any biological kids. So it was through nieces and nephews or seeing other kids and, and our son more so now. And it's such a relief when you have that, right? But without it, yeah, you have no, you have no idea. What was it like during those years? I mean, four kids before your daughter or three and a new baby and your husband, um, you know, are you guys a solid team? Is it, I mean, how, and it sounds like you were the target. How has this all been for you? Um, I mean, I think, I mean, right now our, Brady has been a my Brady, my husband. Um, he's been very um supportive in all of this. Oh, I mean, good. we definitely have had triangulation. We've definitely had a rough last couple of years, which I'll get into. But I think I almost felt like with the first four, I was like, I was always in there. I'm very OCD type A, um, very scheduled. So it was always, just always in my routine. We do this, this, and this, and yeah. every kid just followed that plan. Okay. Um, and almost like robotically and, um, and then, and my husband, my husband's a pilot. So I do that. I do a lot of this on my own. Uh, he's usually gone, um, 15 days out of the month. Okay. Usually it's like four day, four day stretches at a time, four days on. And then how many days off before he goes back? Uh, it depends probably like three to four. I mean, sometimes it could be like four, one, four, and then he has like a week off. Gotcha. It's just kind of, all. I would say typically on average, I tell people like he's typically gone like Thursday through Sunday or Thursday through Monday. Okay. Um, wow. So yeah. So that's extra hard. Cause it's all you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's very helpful when he's home. He really, um, steps up and takes all the kids to their therapy appointments or, you know, wherever yeah. a child needs to be, he, we tag team. And so right. I'm really thankful 
for that, but he's always been, um, you know, supportive. And Mm -hmm. I think once our, our, our 12 year old started getting out of hand was kind of when our, we had some rough spots with our marriage. And I think we're just now coming out of that. I think mm-hmm. we've kind of, um, we've done a lot of counseling, a lot of healing. We actually went to, um, we can retreat healing, um, nice. a couple weeks ago. And that was really helpful. And we've, uh, reread how we love, we just finished that reading that together. He would read it a couple chapters on the road and then we'd come home and discuss. Um, so your so child that, with the 12 year old that you were just talking about, mm-hmm. that's the one, is that the only child that has been diagnosed with the developmental trauma rad? Yes. His, and we're getting his um, biological brother who is seven um, right. tested in, an, in about a month to, so we're proactive to see if there's any. That's really good. Do you think there is any? Um, I think because we got him at two, I think he'll be okay. Um, I think he has some mild tendencies, but he doesn't have the aggression that Scott does. And Scott's out of the house and he's at a program, right? Yes, he is. Mm -hmm. Did you see any change in your younger son, the seven-year-old when he, when he left for the program? Immediately. Um, Mm -hmm. all of our kids, he pretty much targeted our daughter a lot. Okay. For some reason, he was always really, really jealous, um, of her. I don't know if it's because she came to our house first. I don't, I don't know, but he's just jealous of everything. Okay. So when he was, so he came to us when he was seven and then each year his aggression started shifting at what, you know, what at school it would be, I would get phone calls every, almost every day. He's in the principal's office. Yeah. And then slowly so it, would, it would shift to, um, you know, in the home. Yeah. And so he started having better days at school each year. And then I was like, Hey, I guess we're, you know, things Working are coming down. Yeah. yeah. And it would be to the point where teachers would be like, he's great. Um, I would say his fourth grade year, he's in sixth grade now in fourth grade, he was still like kind of manipulating kids, stealing snacks, trying to like, you know, get them to buy him stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have any money. My mom doesn't send me any money. So <laughs> can you buy me a snack? You know, mm-hmm. or he would go, you know, he would go into kids' backpacks and take yeah. stuff. Yeah. But, um, I would say by fifth grade was when it hit, which was last year. And, we tried to get him on an IEP and the school flat out was like, they kind of um, called me out and said, I don't know what behaviors are you're seeing at home, but we don't see those here. And maybe you need to fix what you're doing at home. And I uh. was like, okay. And I actually had a IEP advocate on the um, conference with me and she was shocked at how they were really? treating the parent. Um, wow. You just, she's like, I'm sure they don't treat you just you're not probably not the only one that they treat like this. Definitely but. not. Yeah. So they did not put him on an IEP and, and they just kind of said he is an amazing kid here and just, he does great. And you know, the typical, yeah, sometimes he doesn't do his homework or he doesn't put in a lot of effort, but, um, they weren't seeing those behaviors. No. He was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was getting to the point where one of the, uh, so he was actually having, um, 
therapy in the home at this point, we had tried every therapy. We exhausted everything from EMDR (laughs) to attachment, TBRI, you name it, we have done it. Mm -hmm. And, um, so we started, he somehow got qualified for ABA therapy in the home. Yeah. And so we started doing that like last August. So back in 2020 and then January, I would say end of November, things started getting really pretty bad. He started becoming aggressive, started doing, being, uh, refusing with his therapist, um, simple things like, okay, we're going to clean up and he would start cleaning up. And then he had one thing to clean up and he would just lose it. Like he would run away. Mm -hmm. He would threaten. He would just, it was like a switch went off on his brain. And so there was one incident where, um, uh, the first incident was, um, he ran away once, um, he, he didn't go very far cause it was snowing and his therapist was here and he was, she was able to kind of, um, coerce him into, um, back into the house. Um, so the therapist was seeing this. Oh yes. Which was great. I mean, yeah. not great, but it was good that we had a third party. Exactly. Um, yeah. So we actually, and then our, our four-year-old was also having, um, the same type of therapy. Um, and so one night, right after this whole IEP issue, he came home and his teacher actually called me and said, uh, Scott had told me he didn't have any homework. And I got an email from his teacher and he's like, um, you know, Scott, ha- Scott and I discussed what he needed to do when he gets home because he didn't turn in this project that was due a week ago. I, I, I told him, I was like, you need to go do your homework. I got an email from your teacher. And, um, he, uh, went downstairs and sat at the computer and his teacher called me and wanted, and just told me, you know, what they discussed today. And I put him on speaker so that Scott could hear. Mm-hmm. And he just, you could just see it in like Scott's demeanor in his just, he just went straight to anger. He, he, he was not going to have anything to do with homework that day. He wasn't going to do it. And so I had told, you know, I said, thank you for letting me know I'll get him to do it. And so as soon as I hung up the phone, everything just went South. Um, right. he, and at this time, my one shoot, Caroline was one. So she was with, she was pretty much following me everywhere. He was sitting at the computer and I said, Scott, you need to do your homework. Either you can sit here all night and get it done, or you can get it done and go play. Right. And, um, he pretty much was yelling at me, just started threatening me. Um, and Christian was having therapy on the other side of the room and his therapist wasn't, there's a wall. So his therapist didn't know what was going on yet. Okay. And I was trying to stay very, very calm because yeah. I didn't want Caroline to get scared. Yeah. So I managed, I said, I need you to, um, go upstairs to calm yourself down. And he, he, he got up and he got to the stairs. And at that point he was like, started to walk up the stairs, but then he started to lean on me and Caroline was right behind me. And I was like, this is not going to go well. And Um, so I, I managed to get him upstairs. And at that point, I didn't think I needed to have the other therapist, like do anything. Yeah. Yeah. 
and, and I'm one of those that tries to do it all on our own. And, um, and so I finally got him upstairs and then he was just running around, um, the house, like around the kitchen in circles. And my seven-year-old at that time was doing his homework and just watching like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I got him to sit down on, we have like a bench right in front of our um, front door. I got him to sit down. I was trying to calm him down. I didn't quite do like the holding method or anything, but I was trying to get him to just calm him down. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't. And at that point, as soon as I sat next to him, he started strangling me. He started pulling my hair. He was just fighting, fighting me. And my daughter was standing right in front of me. How scary. Screaming at, (sighs) at one. Uh, and, um, sorry, I'm going to get emotional. Um, and so at that point I, he was just, he had my hair, he was, you know, strangling me. Um, he, I said, I yelled, I go, I'm done. And I grabbed Caroline and I, I, I like walked away Mm -hmm. and he went up the stairs and I just, I looked at him. I said, I'm done. And he, he made a comment like, you know, don't come any closer, um, or I'm going to rip the stairwell from the stairs. And at that point I was like, I don't care. You can damage this house as much as you want. I don't care. Right. But at that, when I saw my daughter screaming mm-hmm. and just the look in the look in her eyes, I just knew that I had to I had to protect her. Right. And I was yeah. so terrified of the trauma that she had seen. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so immediately I called 911 right. and, uh, I had, they had to take pictures of my neck, um, because I just had marks all over. And, um, and so they had taken, um, at that moment, the police came. That was the first time we had to call the police. Um, and shockingly, they would not take him. And, um, yeah. And so one of the police officers came over and stayed with us until like, probably like 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock. Um, our neighbor is is pretty supportive. She still doesn't understand. I think that night she understood. She's like, mm-hmm. okay, I get it. This is serious. Um, yeah. Cause she used to think she loves Scott. She's like, oh, he's so amazing. He's so mm-hmm. sweet. So thoughtful. Um, she grabbed all the kids, took them to her house. Fed oh, them wow. Dinner, just kept them. Oh, yeah. Lucky, so really lucky you've got yes. somebody like that. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and so I was dealing with the police and everything. My husband, I called my husband, he got, he called his, a boss and was like, I got to get home because he was on a work trip. Um, and it came down to the, I think it was because it was the first time we called the police off the police and they didn't, they didn't know much about him. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, and how old is uh, he at this time? 11. Yeah. He's 11. Okay. So then I think they also think what can an 11 year old do? Right. right. Yeah. Right. And that. so she was saying she, pretty much, she said that if we take him, he's going to go to, um, he'll go to the police station, but it came down to the jail was juvenile was too full. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, we can't, 
we can't, it's called an M1 hold. We can't put him on an M1 hold because he doesn't have any like suicidal ideations. Okay. And I'm like, but he is suicidal. And there's um, no way to call in EMS or get him. Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. And so she, what she did is she was amazing. And she, y'all, I'll talk about her again. She ended up at kind of pulling strings and got her supervisor to say, that she was able to ha- uh, handcuff him and take him because I wanted, I, I wanted to do like a tough, a tough love situation. Like you got to get handcuffed. I'm going to press charges because until we press charges, nothing's ever going to happen. And I needed something on record. Cause I, I had this weird feeling that because he wasn't going to get taken, mm-hmm. we're going to have to repeat this again. Right. And, um, so you knew enough to get it on record, get it documented. Right. Yeah. And so I pressed charges. And so she said, I'll take them, but someone's going to have to come and pick them up. I'm like, well, I'm not picking them up. No. And so she, my in-laws ended up saying that they, they would pick him up and have him spend the night at his house. And I told my, in, my mother-in-law at the time, I was like, um, I was, I knew she was afraid and just nervous, I bet. but I was like, I, in my head, I'm like, he's not going to do anything to you guys. Right. Um, cause it's not about them. It's about, right. You. Yeah. Right. And so they ended up taking him that night. Um, and then, and are they right supportive? O- they sound supportive. They are. Yeah, okay. They are. Yeah. They, yeah. they are very supportive, but they've also had to learn a lot about. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so there there's after this whole situation, um, my father-in-law actually, personally came up to me and apologized. And he's like, I'm just so sorry that whatever we were doing, whether we were letting him eat whatever he wanted or how much he wanted, or just, you know, all the times that we, you know, um, spoiled him, Mm -hmm. we probably, we probably should not have. And so, um, I really appreciated that. apology. Um, and it's nice to have support. You don't always have to know, you know, I think there's a lot like in my family too, a lot of people or friends who support and don't quite get it all, you know, but just knowing they're there without even having to know or really understand that in itself is so helpful. And what a relief, right. isn't it? Yeah. 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 Okay. So they, so um, your son stayed with them that night. Yes. Okay. Um, and then, and then he came home and they took, they took him there for the whole day or whatever, um, or dropping off at school. I can't, I mean, it's all, you know, mixed together. Yeah. Um, so then because of that, we started thinking about doing an in-home center therapy. So instead of doing in-home, you could start doing it at the center where you'd go from like, um, like 10 AM to 6 PM where they would just come home and go to bed. And I was like, that might be a good idea. Right. Um, and so we were Sounds starting, really good. <laughs> yeah. So we were starting yeah. to go into that and, um, it wasn't quite finalized mm-hmm. and hi everyone. I wanted to pop in quickly because I have a question for you. Do you know about rad advocates memberships? 
Rad Advocates has various levels of memberships to choose from so that you can get advocacy and guidance as you raise a child or children with reactive attachment disorder. Check it out at radadvocates.org and find the membership that's right for you. And don't forget to visit radtalkwithtracy.com for support, parent coaching, resources, podcast episodes, and I'm excited to tell you, upcoming Rad Parent Retreats. I think like a week later, we had another incident where his therapist was here and it was a a similar situation where he had one thing to put away and he refused Yeah, and he ended up running around the house again and he grabbed a pair of scissors and he tried to stab his therapist (gasps) and he ended up stabbing himself. Um, and we called, we, this is when we called the police again we um started i can't remember when we started working with amy but um we i think it was right around that time and so um he we called the paramedics we called the police at that point they were able to put in one hold on him and um again my, my husband was home luckily what really just i was dumb i mean i wasn't dumbfounded but i was just what made me realize that he was mentally ill Mm -hmm. was that when the paramedics came, he refused to let him touch him. He ran around the police had to like, actually like corner him and he would not let the paramedics look at his hand. He didn't need stitches or anything. It wasn't that bad of a cut, but he just was running around with, you know, blood hanging Mm -hmm. from his hands. Mm -hmm. And, um, also another incident where care, I was holding Caroline and it all happened so fast. And I was trying to, to ask Scott, I was like, Hey, I need to see your hand. And I was holding Caroline and my husband was like, stop, you need to walk away because she's screaming. And it was just like all, I was like trying to help both kids at the same time. Yeah. And, um, and so I ended up, um, letting him, my husband kind of deal with that situation while I was like protecting that, protecting the other kids. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so they ended up putting him on an M1 hold, taking him to the hospital. Um, and remind me how long is the M1 hold? I want the first thing that came to my brain was 72 hours. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so they couldn't find a bed for him. So he just stayed in the emergency room for a while. (sighs) Um, eventually he went to Cedar Springs, which is the worst mental place in the, probably in our state. Um, and, um, so that was the first time he was in a treatment facility. Um, and they ended up taking him. I was every day. I was just anxious because I was like, I hope that they'll take him for a week. Cause they're like, we think he'll stay for 10 days. I was like, really? And, um, and so I has, and during this time, my husband is like, calling off work. I mean, the whole, we looked back in the whole month of March and February, he never went to work. And it got to the point where his, his boss was like, you either have to fill out FMLA or you got to figure this out. Mm -hmm. Um, so what's stress? Hey, yeah, Yeah. so he was actually in there for about six days and there said, okay, he's ready to come home. And I said, well, what, what, why, how do you know he's ready to come home? And they're like, well, he's stable. And I'm like, that's because he's watching TV and he doesn't have to do schoolwork. 
Mm-hmm. And um, there's no expectations, no rules. Yeah. Hmm. And they came up with a crisis plan. And I had to do a phone meeting with him and it was, it was awful. It was, I was pretty much very blunt with him. I said, the safety plan doesn't work. It, I mean, it's like, I'll go to my room. I'll count to 10. I'll be calm, you know, just <laughs> stuff like that. Right. And, um, <laughs> and so I just, I told the, um, therapist on the phone, I go, this is a joke. Like, mm. this is not going to work. He is doing well right now because he is stable. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she kind of just, she didn't argue with me, but she just kind of, you know, she's like, no, ma'am, you know, these do work. We do see them work. I'm like, oh, you do. Mm-hmm. And, um, because I know most children go right back in. Right. And so, and so we ended up, we just, so at this point, um, we started working with Amy. And so when we got the call to, when he was going to get released, we said, we don't, we actually called DHS on ourselves. I was like, we cannot take him. Um, and I actually have a, uh, how I got to know Amy was I have a friend from my daughter's Girl Scout troop. I was kind of expressing our issues with Scott, um, prior to this. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, I have a girl that just constantly runs away and she's in a group home Monday through Friday and then comes on the weekends and we're ready for her to go back on Monday. And mm-hmm. I was asking her, I was like, well, how do you get a group home? Yeah. Like a, you know, cause how do you do set that? that up? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? And she's like, well, we did a couple of years ago. And I think the state of Colorado is kind of like doing away with that, which yeah. pretty much they did. Shoot. So she sent it, she said, she's like, Hey, I'm going to send this website to you. I haven't checked it out yet, but you might want to check it out. So I ended up checking it out that night, the night before we were supposed to go pick him up. And I, I was like, should I like put a membership in? Should I just like contact and just put a little contact info right. message? And my husband's like, I don't care. Just do whatever you have to do. Just pay it. I don't right. care. We need, we, we need, need help. help. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. So literally that next day, Amy reached out to me and, um, that's when she was like, you need to refuse pickup, mm-hmm. um, call DHS on yourself and refuse pickup. Mm-hmm. We call DHS on ourselves. <laughs> um, What's that like? Like, what do you say? Uh, it, well, it was, it's, it's kind of humorous because, uh, the, we had a guy, he got on the phone. He's like, what, what are you, you know, what's the child's name? I'm like, no, there's no, I mean, there is a there's child, no case. But, yeah. Um, my husband and I are calling on ourselves and he's like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, and I briefly, um, explained her situation. He's like, I'm okay. Well, I I'll have, I'll just, we'll just based on the kid. So he took the information of Scott and everything. And I said, so what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just shared our story and I briefly said, you know, for everything from strangling to like stabbing to suicidal ideations, things like that. And you're not picking up. Right. We, it took like 24 hours for us to actually get a, probably 24, maybe a little bit longer because at that point I, the hospital was like, are you ready to come pick him up either mm-hmm. tomorrow or by this time. And I said, we're going to do like the farthest time possible. Yes. And, um, so I just kept putting it off. Mm -hmm. And finally I re finally, I was like, well, I just, we're not going to pick him up. 
Mm-hmm. And my husband was nervous. He's sure. like, I don't know. Cause at that point we weren't, we didn't know what, um, a DN, a DNN was, um, what is a DNN just for people who don't know the neglect. Um, um, I'm, my words are going out of my no, mouth. So um, <laughs> You're um, talking about a lot of trauma yes. here, right? Reliving it. Yeah. Yes. It, it's where you can get a, it's like a civil, um, charge against you. It's not criminal, but it's civil where you can get, um, uh, refusal. It's like just neglect, neglect or of, abandonment. Of, yeah. Of mm-hmm. your child. Right. And, um, so at that time we didn't know much. So my, that's where my husband was really nervous because I mean, sure. he has a career and he didn't want anything. Yeah. What's going to happen. This is big and scary. Yeah. So I, I just kept pressure. I'm like, we have to refuse. Cause this is just going to, we've already had this happen twice. It's just going right. to repeat the cycle. Yeah. It's not safe for him to come back home. Right. For him uh, or you. Right. Yeah. And so, um, finally we got a DHS caseworker. And she kind of scared us. And that's what we've learned that, that all DHS caseworkers, they're not, they're underpaid. They probably hate their job. Um, they huge caseloads and timelines. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and really they're taught to, they're not in it for the children. They're in it to fill a bed and for the state, not to worry about the child anymore. Mm. And so they come up with great scare tactics. And so she would say stuff like, well, you're going to, um, get, you're going to have a, um, charge against you. Um, you know, neglect and abuse charge against you. And, um, you're going to have to go to court and do all these things. And so my husband was still kind of like, do I believe Amy? Do I believe the caseworker? Mm-hmm. And Amy was like, you got to take a, a, a leap of faith. And when right. she said that, I was like, I had this weird, like backwards way of like, I almost feel like Amy is the right person to trust. Mm-hmm. And, um, so my husband, um, we ended up coming down, we, we decided together that we would just bring him home. And I told my husband, I said, if we have to call the police one more time, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done. And so we, under certain circumstances, we brought him home. It was a Wednesday night, brought him home. He, that was when we finally got him into the, um, the school therapy program. Okay. Um, through the ABA program where he would go from 10 to six. Um, so he started that he hated it. Um, I bet. (laughs) So he did one night Thursday and then, um, and then, Oh, and then Friday and then Saturday, everybody was home. Everybody was playing with each other and it was something like kids were just kind of getting nitpicky on each other. And so my husband was downstairs in the basement and said, okay, I would like everyone to just take a break from each other. Yeah. You go over here, you play with Legos, you do this. As soon as he did that, Scott lost it. He started, he tried to run away. And so because of our stupid crisis plan, it was, you need to lock all the doors, um, which goes against if there's a fire, mm-hmm. how do we let uh, how do we let children get out of the house if there's a fire? So uh, my husband was trying to keep them in the house. Um, and I told the kids to stay downstairs in the basement. Um, and at this point, 
he was more of saying, I'm going to kill you in your sleep to my husband. I'm going to hurt you. He was pinching him, biting him, um, doing everything he possibly could to get to run away. Yeah. And, um, and so, um, I told the kids to stay downstairs as I'm going up the stairs, our nine-year-old daughter said, I think I'm going to have to call the police. What? And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. like no, no nine-year-old should have to call the police right. um, for her family. Yeah. So, so you're starting husband, to see how this is affecting again, oh yeah. right? All your yeah. kids. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It affects everybody. Right. And as so, a mom, that's so hard to see. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, for, I guess during this whole process, it was just like, wow, our lives are so so focused on Scott, like it's Mm. just living on eggshells all day long. When's the next thing going to happen? Right. And I'm never pouring any energy into them. Right. And so I ended up, um, just kind of standing by the basement door and I was able to tell the kids to get upstairs into our bathroom or into our room. And, um, so they all went into their room. And at this time I had made, um, little like fun boxes for each yes. kid. And so, um, that helped occupy them yep. and not be like, what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and I also had a paper that explained Scott, like explained what rad was yes. and mental state. And so I called the police again and they actually stayed with me on the phone this time until they arrived. Oh, good. And as soon, and it was just shocker. Cause as soon as I handed that letter, because it was on a letterhead looked and it official. Rad. It mm-hmm. looked official. They were in her house for 30 seconds. They read it and said, you're coming with me. Wow. And they took them directly to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And because this was our third time, we had one of the police officers told us which hospital to take, because there's a higher chance that they'll end up taking the, taking in one hold children. Oh, well, that's good. Um, so, yeah, so we ended up taking him to that hospital and they took him. It was weird because that by the time they, that was probably like four or five o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time we got the phone call to do a, they called us for like intake paperwork. It was actually much more um, in depth. I mm-hmm. was like, this is weird because this is like the same hospital that we were last at like a week ago and no one asked us these questions. Interesting. So based on our intake paperwork, they kept him and they're like, we don't really have, I'll be calling around, but this time Cedar Springs and a couple, there was one other place that was completely full. So like, we can't take him anywhere. I'm like, that's fine. And at that point I said, I will not pick him up. So Mm -hmm. you figure, you figure it out. Yeah. He's not coming home. And so our DHS caseworker called us and she tried to, you know, get us, she's like, I'm going to have to come and, you know, visit you. And Mm -hmm talk to the kids and all this stuff, which kind of never really happened, but she pretty much said, well, why don't you take Scott back and Mm -hmm. then have a neighbor or a family or a friend take your other four children. And I laughed. I go, are you kidding me? Like you're a DHS caseworker. Like what absurd idea? How would that work? Who wants to take four children 
who has the furniture, who has the room, who has the space. You're telling me to give up my other four children in hopes to bring home a mentally ill, you know, child. That's nuts. That's nuts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I laughed and I said, no, no. Mm. Um, and, um, and good for you, by the way, to have that wherewithal. Yeah. And to set that boundary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Cause she, I mean, are the caseworker, it, I, again, I think they really, it's like, they have these scare tactics that they learn and they try to like overstep your boundaries. And it comes to a point where, no, this is, we are a family. This is how a family is supposed to be. You don't understand what a family looks like. And so I said, I don't care. You can press whatever charges you want on me. I'm going to protect my other four children. Mm-hmm. And at that point I knew based on whatever I said, that if the state of Colorado took me to court and saw that I was protecting my other four kids mm-hmm. from one child hurting and trying to kill that I would be okay. There's mm-hmm. no way that they would take my other kids, especially when they keep coming back saying there's no beds for anybody. Right. So why would you even take my four? Right. And I think you said something without knowing that you said it or made a point without knowing you made it, but the focus was a hundred percent on the child and not the family when it mm-hmm. should be on the entire family, including the child with the mental health issues but it was so focused on just placing this one, your one child and not considering the family. That's, right. Right. Not how it works. Right. Yeah. And so I, at that point, I was just like, I, I have to protect, I've been trying to help this one child for so long that mm-hmm. I have lost, you know, my other kids, I've lost what our family is. I've lost, you know, all of that. So I was like, I have to protect these four kids at this point going forward. Right. And so that was when I was, I refused. Um, and my, my husband was totally on board Mm -hmm. and a couple days later, we got a call from the hospital. They were like, um, okay, he's, he's He's ready. (laughs) I'm like, no, no, he's not. And, um, I actually saw some of the reports because everything has pretty much gone to online. And so I saw a couple of crazy reports, like, um, he would mention something to the nurses. Well, um, I shouldn't be watching this because it gives me nightmares and I'll wet the bed, but you know, I think, I think I can handle it. Um, or he would bring up, you know, stuff. Um, there was a couple suicidal ideations in there as well that he had told the nurses like, yeah, sometimes I think about, you know, killing myself or, and so that's kind of what when I saw that in the notes, I brought that up to the doctor. I was like, there's no way he's ready to come home. Mm-mm. If he's, if he's actually stated this out loud, there's no way. I don't care if he doesn't have a plan or not. He's not coming home. So they ended up keeping him because there was no place to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's still in the emergency room at this point. And they're trying to get him not in the emergency room. So DHS, the hospital now, um, and Amy and my husband and I are all kind of just figuring out what we're going to do. Yeah. And, um, the hospital's getting mad at DHS. DHS is getting mad at the hospital because <laughs> the hospital's like, this is your problem, not ours. So right. get him out. And during this whole entire time, um, about a year prior to this, I started looking into boys ranches. Um, okay. cause that's kind of where I randomly heard about it from a friend Yeah, and, um, and she ended up sending her boys to Cal Farley's ranch in Texas. And it was like free. And I was like, Oh my God, that'd be amazing. Yeah. 
and I find out that there's not really a lot of free programs anymore. No. And, um, and if there are, it's like, no, no meds, like not, you can't, right. it's very mild no behaviors. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So right. I, um, somehow came across, um, a boy's ranch where Scott is currently, um, it's mountain state boys ranch up in Montana. Mm-hmm. It's run by Sam Christian. And, um, he, um, I reached out to him like a couple months prior, like in January, and just to get information. And then I kind of put it on the back burner. And then when things started getting crazy, I reached out to him like another time. And he's like, yeah, we should be able to, um, take your son. And so while he's in the hospital, everyone's like, does anybody have a plan? And we were with, (laughs) (laughs) we were on a phone conference with probably 60 people trying to figure out what, I mean, we had gotten the state involved and, um, there's a higher level program called an EIS, um, TT where above like the Medicaid above Medicaid people get Mm -hmm. involved and CCHA was on there and everything. How did you initiate that? Like, how did you get all these people involved? Cause I know a lot of rad parents struggle with getting Mm -hmm. any support. Like, how do you take that next step? Um, it kind of, I I'm sure it was Amy. Um, we wouldn't have been able to do it without Amy. Um, so I really think having a third, a third party is so beneficial because it, it just, it's a third party, you know, just being able to, you know, have stand up for, for the, your behalf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so through, because DHS was not cooperative, Amy was able to, um, we started working with CCHA and then CCHA was like, I can't like, this is as much as we can do. And then Amy knows someone, um, she was like, why don't we do, she set it up and, um, we had an EISTT meeting. It's a one-time like thing where a, a panel of 60 people come on. And at this point, we already had a GAL because Scott had charges pressed against him. And w- my husband and I were on that conference call trying to figure out what we we're going to do. And they, it, everything, we got down to the point where, you know, the crisis plan and all that. And we got down to the point where have we done everything? Mm-hmm. And they had said that, um, my husband had asked, have we done everything? Yeah. And the room went silent and they said that, um, yeah, you guys have done everything. Um, there's nothing more that you can do. And, um, and so, so they had said, yeah, you've done everything you can do. So, so it was just silent and we were just, because most people are like, you know, you can try this therapy, you can try this therapy. And it was, but he had an answer. He had done everything. Yeah. And I think my husband, I think that's the reason why my husband wanted to bring him home that one, that first time, because he's like, if we don't bring him home, I don't want, let's say we do have to go to court or whatever. I don't want them to come back and say, you didn't do everything. Yeah. Yeah. Just follow all the steps. Yeah. Yeah. So at that point, the hospital was like, we will do, we were pretty much going to send him to, um, because the state wasn't going to help and there were no beds. DHS wasn't going to take him. 
so we were like, fine, we will just send him to um, a boy's ranch. Mm-hmm. The state at the time was, or I mean, the hospital at the time um, was like, how soon will the director take him? Because we will um, pay for you and Scott to fly up there and pay for rent a car. If you can get him out today out of the hospital. You're kidding. The hospital and, said that? Yeah. Wow. And it just, and that's what bothers me so much about our, about our state is that mm. they're not willing to find a, a foster home or uh, to, willing to like, when that costs just, you know, that costs less money and, but they're willing to spend thousands of dollars on a plane ride and a rental car just for me to drop my son off so that I will pay for it because you know, it's my, I understand it's my financial responsibility, but there's just, there's no help with these type of children. Yeah. And so, um, so I said that it, he wasn't able to take him that day anyway. So I said, no, he can just sit in the hospital until we are ready to pick him up. Right. So he ended up sitting in the hospital for two, it was two weeks, might've been 10 days. And I mean, he loved it. I mean, when we picked him up, he had a huge trash bag full of candy, mm-hmm. books, toys. Right. And it just everybody it, doting it, on him. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and I, a part of me gets it, but it's also infuriating because it's like every nurse, a nurse will never see the effects of these kids because their shifts change so fast. Right. And, um, and they don't realize that he's just working them to get stuff. Right. Right. It's not, it's not anything else. Right. Yeah. But to them, they don't know. And it's like, Oh, right. Poor kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like they're helping. Yeah. 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 So we ended up, um, picking him up, which was, it's, it was just weird and awkward. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, I could just tell when I walked into the hospital that he didn't want, you know, it, he was just that, t- that shirt, that very flat em- emotion again. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, so we picked him up and that day we, cause we weren't going to pick him up until we were able to take him directly to Montana. And Sam, the director was actually driving through Colorado and he said, Hey, I'll, I'll, if you meet me up in Denver, I'll take Scott the rest of the way. You're kidding. I just got goosebumps. Yeah. Wow. What? Like so, luck I know. divine time. Yeah. Yeah. So we, so the plan was we picked him up that day. Brady was at work. So he was, he literally was flying down, flying, flew down, flew into Denver and then drove to Castle Rock and met me halfway. Wow. And I had my mother-in-law in the car with me, um, for support. Mm-hmm. And we just drove up to Castle Rock and, uh, Brady met me in Castle Rock and, um, he took Scott halfway and he had asked, he was where, where are we going once we passed the house? And cause I didn't take him to take him to the house. My mother-in-law was like, should he say goodbye to the kids? I go, no, he doesn't no. care about the kids. I don't want to traumatize. I don't, you know, and plus all my other kids, my kids were at different activities and things. And it's already been two weeks. That's yeah. A whole different dynamic in the house. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, um, we met in Castle Rock and we told him right then and there. And, um, he cried for a little bit. Um, but I knew <sighs> that he would be fine. Um, I kind of said, it's going to be like, like summer camp. I said goodbye and, um, he took him up the rest of the way and he's, he's been there since. 
which is about five months you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess in since that day, um, our kids, the rest of the kids have never, they, I mean, they'll talk, they'll briefly mention his name here and there, but most of it is, um, they're just, it, it's, it's made me realize what I've missed with my other kids, like Olivia, particularly our nine-year-old daughter. She was so suppressed with her personality. She went from like walking on eggshells, just being terrified all the time to like, just such a joyful, happy girl again. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually, my husband and I do little date night questions like once a year with each of the kids. That's so fun. I, I, um, (laughs) yeah, I had asked her, it's a series of questions that we ask for kids, whether it's like, what do you like about our family? What do you like about dad? What do you wish dad would do more? How is your relationship with your, with this sibling and with this? And so we just kind of talk. Yeah. And when I, I wasn't going to ask, but so I started with, I did Scott last. And when Mm. I, when I, when I was asking the question with, how is your relationship with so-and-so and so-and-so I did Scott last. And I said, um, I know, I know I don't bring up Scott a lot, but, um, if you want to share, how do you, what do you think of your relationship when I say Scott? Mm. And I know, I said, I know he's been out of home for about five months now. So just any feelings you have, just let me know. And she said, she said, my relationship was very scary. Mm. And that's when I, I just was like, I'm so glad we got him out of the home because Mm -hmm. she, for her to still say that just tells me that she still views him as that. Right. And, um, just doesn't want, you know, she's, she's still, you know, healing from that and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And we did, she actually did a rad sibs back in July. Um, and you know, we've just been trying to um, we're, we're, we're trying to be open, but at the same time, like let her heal as well. Yeah. Um, and I don't think naturally she understands a lot just because even though she's nine, she's more of like a seven-year-old. Right. And yeah. so, um, but she, she's just a completely different girl. Yeah. Um, she actually like with attachment, I feel like she's attaching to me a little bit more now. She wants to be around me more. Mm. Um, she talks to me. So just our relationship is just, is just different now. Yeah. Um, um, and I think, I think both of our, our kids, we always call them the bigs and the littles. Um, yeah. <laughs> Olivia, <laughs> Olivia and Caleb are always together. And then Caroline and Christian are always together. And so Olivia and Caleb are just, they just seem happier. Um, yeah. they, they're, they still have their own issues, which is still draining, mm-hmm. but it, it almost seems more manageable now. Yeah. And I had time for them and, you know, it was just, it's just crazy. Cause as soon as he left, I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm actually doing things with my kids again. I'm like, why didn't I do this with my kids before? Like whether it's <laughs> zoo hiking, um, you know, just anything. Yeah. And I just, I almost felt guilty because I'm like, well, why didn't I do this at, when we were a group of, you know, with five kids and because you just, couldn't, I couldn't. Yeah. Couldn't. And I had to like remind myself, like, I just, I couldn't because somebody was always hurting somebody. Somebody was always causing problems. Yeah. Like well, and like you said earlier, you guys were always focused on him and walking mm-hmm. on eggshells. So 
there's nowhere else to go. It's just a hundred percent. You've got to watch that one kid. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting. I can relate to what you were saying about our son. So our kids were nine and two. And when we adopted and the same thing, when I asked you, you know, if you're younger, if the younger sibling changed, because that's what happened with our son. And I, I what exactly what you said within days, I mean, it was clear mm-hmm. within days. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it really affects everybody. And the other thing about your daughter saying, do we need to call the police? That was our son at, you know, seven years old, finding a knife under the sink and saying, mom, I think, do we, do we need to call 911? Do we need to call the police? It's Mm -hmm. bizarre. Right. And you're looking at your child thinking you shouldn't even have to think about this. You should know this. And I can't take that back now you do. And so many layers to all this, right. I could really relate to you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Those things. Yeah. So where are you guys at today? Where Scott's still at the uh, program, the rest of your family is healing and sounding like you're starting to bond a little bit better, attach and Mm -hmm. work through some things, your husband and you doing better. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what does the future night and day night and day? Um, the we're still (laughs) undecisive. Um, we, so we went to the red conference in August and, um, that, that really helped. And then we did, um, some therapy a couple weeks ago that really helped. I think we're at a really good place now. Um, I mean, our family's not perfect, so we still have some, we still do TBR attachment with our mm-hmm. other kids. Um, and that's helping Good for Scott, his return home is supposed to be next September, 2022. And that's still the plan. Um, however, we don't, we've agreed that he cannot come home just be just from, yeah how different our kids are now and, and how healthy, and I don't want to reintroduce trauma again, even if, even if he was 10% better, 50% better. I just, I can't take that risk Mm -hmm. after the way I saw the look on my one-year-old's face. And then my nine-year-old daughter living in fear. Um, how's he doing at the program? Like, is it helping? Um, yeah, I mean, Sam has a philosophy where it's, you don't get to go home until you choose to do the work. So if you don't want to do the work, then you probably won't go. Um, and when you, he only takes up to 13. So if he turns, he turns 13 next year. So when he turns 13, if he's not ready, Sam will typically say, um, we'll provide another, uh, place for us or help us find another place. Gotcha. And we've actually already looked into a couple. We've heard really good things about Yova in Jamaica. Um, oh, wow. So we've thought about that. They actually, they're more of a program where, um, they'll keep them until 18 and kind of whether they teach them a trade, go to college, they really help them get on their feet. And that's a big thing. I really think that even though it's a a huge financial burden on most families, um, and if we can somehow make a way where we can financially support these kids into ranches, I would much more prefer that because you're preventing them from running away and then repeating what their parents did and getting into jail and, you know, skipping school and doing drugs. Breaking the pattern. Right. And so I'm, so that's kind of what we're thinking. Um, We also have thought about 
doing second chance adoption and readopting him into a home um, and trying that out, um, whether he's a single and only child. Right. So we're kind of just um, trying to make that decision and going to see what, you know, what unfolds in the next couple of months. Yeah. It's a hard finance financial piece. Cause it's like, do we financially support him being away from us for the next, you know, eight years? Right. Or do we try to find a, a family that will, um, be a good fit for him and be able to provide a family setting? Right. So it's just, I don't think either one is wrong in any no. way. I just think what you're, what, um, whether, whatever you're led to, I think is, you know, yeah, whatever fits for your family. And it sounds right. like you've got this time to breathe and think about those decisions. It's probably very comforting to know that you just even have the decision that home isn't an option. So right. it takes that fear and stress away. Yeah. And then whatever, whatever you decide ends up being right for your family, because you know, eight years of financing that keeps rad in your life. Um, yeah. I honestly don't think it ever goes away because, you know, the next step is your child is in the next program. And then when they are 18 and they graduate, what does adult life look like for them and you and your family? I think there's always, it's always there, but, um, yeah, I think just trying to do the best for you and your family and get through the next phase of it. Mm -hmm. the best that you can. Right. And, but I think by, yeah, by financing that, that can lead to keep it in your life and a lot of resentment, but that might be right. And a good fit, right. right? It's just, yeah. Individual person by person, family by family, but I'm glad you guys are doing better and starting to be able to heal and breathe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a huge change. Yeah. I was talking to um, a friend and a fellow rad mom, and she expressed it really well by saying that, you know, having the, the child with rad and everybody in the family, it's like being in this giant pressure cooker that you can't get out of, you know, and you're just always living in that pressure cooker. And so it makes me think of you where you've got a little bit of the air let out now and you guys can, you know, the yes. pressure's off and yeah. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, like during this whole, the last couple of years, it's like my husband every day would be like, I hate life. I hate yeah. being a parent. And it would, it would hurt because I'm like, well, why do you like, you hate being a parent. And I was like, but we have Caroline. So doesn't that help? And I mean, it does, but yeah, he just, I, I almost, I, I, it took until it, it's taken five months for me to like, even actually enjoy for me to enjoy life again. I'm yeah. like, Oh, this is what life is like. This mm. is what playing with your kids is like. Again, this is what doing family things is like, yeah. and I'm not even walking on eggshells anymore. And yeah. I just feel more calm. I feel like, like the other day I actually sat on the couch and I was like, I should be doing something like I should be doing something. Yeah. And my husband has to constantly say, it's okay to sit down. It's okay to sit down. And so it's like, and sometimes I sit, I like have an hour and I'm like, what, I don't even know what to do with myself. Like, yeah. what, what did I used to do? And so it's just finding who I am again, yeah. finding whether that's who I, who I am as a wife, who am I, who am I as a mother? And, you know, as a, a friend and just yeah. getting back out into being social again and yeah, you know, 
Yeah. So. Cause it's super isolating and you know, rad really just takes over like your husband, it took over cause he couldn't even see the rest of the family. Cause it was just all reactive mm-hmm. attachment disorder that developmental trauma stuff. Yeah. Yes. Oh, well, you still have decisions to make, but I'm so happy to hear that you got through this and you have this time to reconnect and heal as a family. It's so good. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I wish you all the best of luck with your next decision and what happens Thank next, you. but you guys are doing great. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. And thanks so much for being on the show and sharing your story. I'm always amazed at how similar, but how different or the different things that come up. And I know that somebody is going to hear some of the things that you've said and just really relate to it and be so grateful. So thanks so much for being here. Yeah, of course. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I hope you'll be back to listen to future episodes. If you like the show, please subscribe and help me spread the word by clicking share and like. If you're a parent who needs more support, whether it's for you or your family, please check out my website at radtalkwithtracy.com and visit radadvocates.org.